Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tender Wild listeners. On today's episode, we have a wonderful guest with us, Monica Berry. Monica's the owner of Cielo, a dog mama and a spiritual seeker. Mm. She was born of a Guatemalan mom. She experienced two cultures in her childhood and has love of exploration, entrepreneurship, and service work. She founded the store in 2015 after Monica became sober. Cielo connects beautiful products with healing, self-love, and power, which we both love and we love your store. They offer beautiful crystals, healing tarot decks, incense, and sage bundles, inspirational books, candles, and cozy things in their Coraville shop. We invite you to check out these products in your home and create a safe, peaceful haven. So welcome, Monica. We are so thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Both Kate and I have been to your store multiple times, but we've never met you. And so <laughs> we we're, we feel like, I feel like a little yeah. oh, celebrity is here. Behind, sort of like, oh, behind all, all these that. beautiful products that I yeah. love. So it's so yeah. great to have you here. Everyone who knows me really well says, they say that my store is literally me. Mm. Everything about the store is me. So they can see me in the store. Well, I can already, even in our brief conversation, Mm -hmm. I I see that. And that's when you know you've done something Mm -hmm. so true and authentic and real. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what a tribute to have people recognize that for you. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, we, you know, from our show that we always love to start with your first 10 years and kind of get an idea of some of the threads and things that show up for you Mm -hmm. throughout your life, but maybe that kind of seeds that were planted in those early years. So any experiences or things for you that really stick out for your, from your first 10 years? Well, I grew up in Cedar Rapids. And can I tell the little story about my parents oh, for yes, a second? Oh, yes, please. We uh, love parent stories. They are celebrating their 50 years of marriage oh. in December. Oh, um, that's amazing. That's so rare. My dad was an exchange student. No, not an exchange student. He was... Um, going to learn Spanish in Guatemala and mom was his teacher that he got paired up with and it's just one-to-one communication in Antigua, Guatemala. So they met, got engaged immediately. Mom came on a 90-day visa in 50 years now. I they did not left. speak each other's languages. Wow. Yeah. So connection. But clearly you spoke some energetic, yeah, emotional connection. language <laughs> that brought them together. So, and another funny thing, my mom was 4'11 and my dad is 6'7". Oh, oh my goodness! Wow. Like opposites. Yes, yes. So um, we, they, um, my dad is from Cedar Rapids, and um, he grew up there. And so they um, raised my brother and I in Cedar Rapids. Um, I'm just a year older than my brother. Um, let's see, the first ten years. Okay, so mom and dad settled in Cedar Rapids, and we grew up there. I went to Catholic school. Okay, And that's a big part of my story because um, it was a very strict, small school, um, really not centered on art or music or anything like that. Which because was your it thing. was Yes, that was always my thing as a child. Um, I was a very like free-spirited little girl. I loved art and ballet and dancing and all of that stuff. But school was just not that way. Right. And um, I got a wonderful education. I mean, I literally had nuns, you know, teaching me. And uh, we were also made to be very quiet and very still, which was really hard for me as a child. Mm-hmm. I'm ADHD and neurodivergent and all of that stuff. And it was hard for me to sit still. Yeah. Um, so I remember that a lot. And But the education was great. Um, we really got some really good, strong, basic skills. And um, 
We also traveled a lot to Guatemala. I was curious if you went back to Guatemala. As a child. So mom and dad worked really hard to get vacations because that was always really important to the family. We went on a United States vacation every one year and then we would go to Guatemala the next year. Okay. So I spent a lot of time there. And I just remember it always being this super colorful, magical place. And I was just Mm. there. Isn't it gorgeous? It's unbelievable. It's like unreal. It's so amazing. And you know what I felt? And I'm so curious you going there so much. Mm -hmm. There's such like a feminine energy there. There's such a uh, a healing flow, uh, creative um, mother sort of energy there. Do you yes. do you sense that? The land do you feels feel that the land like yes. a mother, the mountains, and you're around and you're around uh, like Atitlan, Antigua. No, Antigua is a little a bit away from that. It's a little further out. So Antigua is a valley surrounded by volcanoes and mountains. Yeah, it's the highlands. Yeah, um, coffee, the best coffee in best the world. Coffee. It is. is there, and uh, yeah, it's a valley. So and it's just so picturesque. Um, and it's just the weather is perfect too all the time. They call it the land of eternal spring. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have all these memories as a child of going from you know Cedar Rapids, which is kind of okay, but it's five sort seasons. of <laughs> the city of five you know smells, um, <laughs> and having this sort of like. I wouldn't say boring, but just kind of sort of conventional life and then escaping to this paradise of color. Yes, it was literally felt like magic. And I was feel at home there, too. Yes, I felt at home. And I also was seeking magic as a child and because um, of this very strict school. So I was since there was something more than that. Yes. And I didn't know what Um, I felt so at home in the nature there. also, it's just so colorful. It's vivid, the colors and the and the music and um, the way that the Catholicism is woven into the culture too. It's very mystical, and that's the right. word. It's very Catholic too, though, isn't yeah. it? Guatemala, but yeah, in a different way it's than Roman American. Catholic. Yes, but it's very like I would say that there's a lot more um, ritual there. Um, we're here; it's a little bit more like straight laced, maybe mm-hmm. in a lot of our Catholic churches. Yeah, um, there it's very. Um, you know, there's a lot of incense. There's huge 400-year-old cathedrals and the the singing and the echoes and the music. You know, it's just very, like, big. Big, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big energy. They also have the biggest, um, one of the biggest Easter celebrations in the world. Okay, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I'm Catholic, too, so mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear this. So the processions go down the street with the... From Palm Sunday on, probably. Yeah, so they're having yeah. them right now. My mom's mm-hmm. been talking to me, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else can I say about my childhood? I was very shy. I was very sensitive. Um, I was very at home with my dog and my books. And I didn't feel really um, confident, I guess, to talk to people. Very. I felt I had sort of this feeling of not feeling like I fit in at all, ever. Uh, did you feel like you fit in when you went to Guatemala or not necessarily because you were an American? So it's like, either whether you were in the U.S. or Guatemala? Yeah, I kind of felt that everywhere at the time. I remember, luckily, because we went on all these vacations, that was a lot lot of exploration and freedom in those vacations. But then the rest of the time, I felt very restricted. I felt very restrained. Yeah. And I was really seeking beauty, and I Mm. wasn't finding it. Um, So that... Let's see, the first 10 years, I would say, uh, mostly what I remember is the really fun trips and then the rest of the time, um, a lot of loneliness and a lot of pain. Yeah, mm. yeah. So where did that take you then as you went through early adulthood or teenage High years? School. Like what what morphed? Mm-hmm. What, how did that carry through? Well, what happened was, so I was in high school, um, again, this very small school, um, and doing the drama, doing the, um, we had like a very small drama department and we didn't have art class in my high school at all. They didn't even offer one class, oh, wow! which is really unusual. Yeah. <laughs> That's how much it was not valued. Yeah. Um, and I was a cheerleader. Um, I just was trying to like be really involved because I really so much wanted to be um, a person that was full of life and confident in doing things. And I had this like mission to like prove that I could that I didn't have to be this little shy girl. Mm. And what happened was when I was about 16, I discovered alcohol. 
And that really was the game changer for me. It helped me to get popularity and friends and it helped me to, it basically filled that hole in my heart that was so um, shy and insecure. Um, And I used that for 20 years. Yeah. Do you remember kind of the, the, when you discovered it, do you remember that feeling of like, you probably felt like people saw you differently or you, you, you felt like you were mm-hmm. out of your shell. Definitely. The first time I drank was at a party. And first of all, everyone was surprised I was even there. Um, a friend had invited me and I remember feeling so confident that I was talking to everybody. And they said, you know, we've been in school with you since we were in kindergarten and we've never heard your voice. Mm-hmm. That's how shy I was. Wow. Um, And so I was flirting with boys and I was having fun and I was confident. It was just like a totally new personality. New life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and what's so fascinating to me is that you, you were shy and sort of introverted and yet you wanted to be this vibrant, outgoing person, Mm -hmm. which I think is your essence, right? Like Mm -hmm. we, we don't imagine ourselves to be something that we can't be right. So Mm -hmm. it's in you. And for whatever reason you believed, oh, the alcohol allows me to be Mm -hmm. who I believe that I am. Because your environment did not. Right. It sounds like. Right. And it was that wildness that I was seeking. Absolutely. And I, I do not demonize alcohol at all. I think alcohol is a very, um, it can be a very spiritual tool for a lot of people. I'm just allergic to it and addicted to it. So I can't use it for those reasons, but I think alcohol itself can be, I mean, it's been used for, you know, all ancient people had alcohol for religious purposes and all of these things. And so I found that euphoria. Um, I felt closer to the divine. I felt um, powerful, strong, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So it was like magic. It was magic until Mm -hmm. I assume it wasn't. You're sober now. And I, I am so grateful that you're here because I was telling you before we started, we haven't talked about the path to sobriety and Mm -hmm. your story is so common Mm -hmm. at the first time I drank or the first time I experienced Mm -hmm. that I finally felt at ease and I wasn't socially anxious and everything was okay. So I feel like this story is so essential because there's so many people, I have family members, um, who have addiction. And Mm -hmm. so thank you for um, talking about this. So when Mm. did you know this isn't magic for me anymore? This is toxic. I knew that I had a problem the very first moment I drank. Ooh, wow. Really? I knew immediately. But I wasn't going to let it go because it gave me everything I wanted. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. It gave me everything. Mm. Admiration, uh, you know, everything. Attention, connection. Oh, connection is the big one. Because that's when I could really communicate what I was feeling. And I so, so desperately wanted to do that. You know, and I just yeah. couldn't. I felt so weird. I felt so strange. And the alcohol took that away. You were able to just. Yeah. yeah. And then I could just say what I wanted to say. And people seemed to like me. And it made me feel good. confidence booster. Mm-hmm. So um, that's fascinating that you knew. I knew Did immediately. Did you have family members with addiction that you had grown up with or had seen? I had heard stories about people, men, you know, in, men. in on the Guatemala side that have, um, have the disease of alcoholism. Um, it's very prevalent in, well, all over, yeah. but a lot, definitely, um, you know, Latin American countries, I think a lot, it's, I don't know why, why it's mostly men, but um, you hear about that a lot. And so I had heard I'd had an uncle and uh, some other people in my family, but it wasn't really, um, I hid it very well from the beginning. And I think that's also a mark is that you can hide it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you were able to hide it and sort of keep it functional and under control for how long? Um, well, I don't, I guess I'm not sure how much it was visible. Um, I know that my friends that were with me at the time, you know, I was such a sloppy drunk and I would be the one that would be passing out, throwing up to blackout every single time. That's how I knew Yeah. because my friends could just drink and be okay and have fun. And they'd be up till the end of the night and go home and I would always be passed out somewhere. So it's one of those things like we joke about, like, I should be dead in a cornfield somewhere, you know, Yeah. because <laughs> back in the day without cell phones and stuff, we oh, were, yeah. we were pretty free. Right. Yeah. right. 
So, um, so you knew it was affecting you differently than your friends. Yes. Yes. I knew that somehow I couldn't stop. Um, and I liked it more than my friends did too. I think it was so important to me. Yeah. Um, so I would find every excuse to get out of the house so that I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. So after high school, did you, what, what was next for you after high school? So I came to the University of Iowa, and then it all, you know, I was really free. Mm. And there was, um, I mean, really the whole decade of my 20s and 30s was, most of my 30s was um, just hedonism and parties. And um, I don't really look upon that time of my life, especially my 20s. It was still fun then, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember being downtown here and just having such euphoria being in the clubs and being out at night and meeting new people and doing all of that stuff. You were part of the culture, yeah. Definitely. We had so many house parties and it was just so fun. But I never really got like the grasp of life or what I wanted to do or anything at that age, which a lot of other people did. And even in my 30s, I was kind of lost and just like, oh, I don't I can't really hold down a good job. I can't um, I have no direction. I don't know who I am. That kind of stuff. Um, Huge problem with authority, which Mm. is a big mark of alcoholics, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't tell me what to do. Yes, I never wanted I I always was very, um, you know, it was very hard to try to control me. Um, I always thought people were trying to control me and my parents were, my teachers were, my bosses were. So I was very anti-authority. It's interesting with your your early schooling, well, actually, your, all of your K-12 experience mm-hmm. being in a very authoritative yeah. Catholic environment yeah. that yes. you, you rebelled. Well, all of those cliches about Catholic school, you know, yeah. it really was true for me. And I think I just needed a little bit of... Um, I needed something to put my energy into, right? you yeah. know, besides just school. Right. So, right. Um, so was there a, mm-hmm. a dark night of the soul moment? Was there a, a moment where people around you were like, Monica, you need help? What, what finally brought you to sobriety? Well, okay, so those those years were marked by a lot of joy and a lot of pain, um, know, like everything. It's both sides of the coin, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Because I can't look back and be like, oh, well, every year was miserable or, you right. know, I had I no... think this is so honest. It yes. is. That it was actually a lot of fun and there was a lot of joy and a lot of connection. Of course. And a lot of... Well, know. and I was a free, wild woman, you know, mm-hmm. young and alive and just bursting with... with um, creativity and life and I had things to say and I was an activist and I was learning and um, traveling and doing all of those things. So it's not as though I was um, absolutely miserable 100% of the time. It's just that overall there was this pattern of not being able to sustain a romantic relationship, having, um, unfortunately, having pushed my parents away. Um, I think it was probably painful for them to see me that way. And then I was hurt that they were hurt. And so that caused a separation, you know. So it affected your relationships, for sure. My relationships were the biggest thing that, and of course, I would get with other alcoholics because that's easier to function that way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I went on a school trip when I was in high school to New York City. Life changing Mm. because then there was that um, magic and that music and that art that I was craving in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It was probably was it the closest thing you'd seen since Guatemala of like a place that felt magical. But it was it was the energy obviously is very different in New York City than Guatemala. But it it big energy though big energy. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was very attracted to. the businesses there, the boutiques Mm. and the um, commerce and art. And I think that planted a seed in me. That aesthetic. Yes, definitely. Um, I also took a trip to Tokyo um, and I backpacked around Cambodia and Thailand. And um, so I really kind of got, yeah, a different aesthetic, I guess. 
And I started to really sort of cement what my style was a little bit, mm. Scandinavian. And then I really liked the Japanese stuff. And then I really liked, you know, obviously the sophistication of New York City. And I started to sew when I was in New York City. I moved there when I was 22 and 9-11 happened three weeks after I moved to Queens. Oh my, oh my gosh. What was, you got to pause and tell us about that. <gasps> that wow. I'm sure it's really hard to, kind of, <laughs> no. even your size says it all there. Like, yeah. oh. I know. Okay, so I took the New York City trip in high school for a choir trip, and um, we went to see a Broadway play, and we were walking around. Which and we one? Went I have to, to know. Which, which Broadway play? Uh, Phantom. Of course. Phantom of the Opera, okay. Okay. which is amazing. Go on, go on. And <laughs> we went to China. You know, we went all over, and I thought, this is where I belong. This is my home. This is the sparkle and the life I want. And uh, we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and that alone, that day changed my whole life. Oh, standing in that. those um, chambers, you know where they have they have these rooms that are set up like um, medieval castles and the queen's room and stuff like that. And my imagination just went crazy, and I just was like, I want to be an artist. I want to be an artist. Mm. It was I just can almost dying. picture you like being there and just like yeah. all of a sudden feeling this aliveness that you, I, yeah, craving. just opened my eyes to. A life that I just dreamt of. I just wanted it so. And so to badly. see that it was possible that there there is a place and a type mm-hmm. of person that yeah. So I went to the museum that changed everything, um, and I was standing in the gardens, the sculpture gardens, and I sort of like made a promise to myself that I would come back, mm. and I did. Um, but really bad timing, maybe. Um, but I was so I just about four years later. Yeah. So I grad. I thought well, I'm going to get my degree and then I'll yeah. come back. So I was a very, very drunk student. Um, And then that's when it really started to get more into the sickness part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was starting to have physical symptoms. I was having um, abusive relationships. Um, I wasn't going to class like I should. I really was starting to kind of not function. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was not a great student, but I kind of got through Um, and then I moved to New York and 9-11 happened. Mm. Um, so uh, that morning I was going to go on a job interview and uh, the planes hit. And so, but we were sitting in Long Island City, Queens that morning, okay. um, just about ready to go on the subway and go into town. So I'm really glad that we didn't wow. do that. Timing is so. And, you know, the cell phone towers went down and no one could get a hold of us. My parents couldn't get a hold of me. They didn't know where I was. They knew I was going to go into the city that morning, and so oh, they, they, they weren't quite so sure so where I was. Themselves. Yeah, but it was mostly just sad. It was. It's not like I was really worried about my own personal safety. It just was sad in general. And uh, we went up to the roof, and we could see the fire mm. um, and all of that stuff. So it, it was. And then we watched all the people trek across the bridge to go home with all the soot and all the stuff on them. Yeah. So that left a big, um, I stayed drunk for a long time after that. Yeah. 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 It was trauma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was. And, uh, so in New York, I did all kinds of crazy stuff. I just worked at a lot of places. I was a Christmas decorator. I was a year. I was there a year. Yeah. Christmas decorator. I somehow, you know how you used to have to like look at the newspaper for jobs and like circle them. I remember those days. Highlight, highlight the jobs. (laughs) Yeah. So there was, um, the village voice was like the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So I circled, um, I was like Christmas decorator. That sounds fun. You know? So I went and it was a warehouse in the Bronx, in the South Bronx. And this was 2001. Um, and (laughs) it was, yeah, it was just like in the middle of nowhere. I remember going to that job interview and, um, feeling a little bit, um, unprepared Mm. for that environment. I learned to love the Bronx yeah, and I do still, but, um, I, I got a job, uh, doing all of the, um, we did huge trees like in Madison Avenue offices and we did, um, Radio City Music Hall and Macy's like the and the, the Taylor. On the tree, like yeah, so heavy we would, equipment. We were basically like the labor part of it that would like haul the stuff in and then set up the trees and then make the wreaths all perfect and install them. So we didn't do like the front windows or anything. That's like a real artist. Wow. So that was really cool. Mm. So beauty really comes into your mm-hmm. life. Yeah, you're story. clearly an artist. Like everything yeah. about you is very I artistic. Mean, I really, really want to do it. Yes. 
Yes, I was looking for that. And um, even in grade school, I remember we had just, you know, little art classes here and there. And what we always had to do was make posters for the Sweet Corn Festival, which is like my church's big festival, mm-hmm. you know. Fundraiser. A fundraiser. Yeah. So they would constantly just have us cut out cardboard and make posters. And I remember just being like, can we please do something that like we're, I want to learn. Like I want to learn how to draw. I want to learn how to paint. So, you know, fast forward 25 years and I'm in a painting class right now. Oh, so for my 45th birthday, I gave myself that gift. That's, you know, so I'm taking a class at Kirkwood. That's amazing. And it's amazing. It's four hours every week of just me sitting there with the music on and painting. Oh, mm-hmm. the full circle, the full circle, the full circle yeah. mm-hmm. and creating it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So you left New York, mm-hmm. you came back, back to Iowa. Yeah. So my personal goal was to be there a year. My, I think a lot of people thought, well, I'll just come back because the terrorist attacks happen. Yeah. So no, but I wanted to stay. Um, I was really determined to change my, um, my whole persona, I guess, from a girl from Cedar Rapids. Like I wanted to have that big city sophistication or I wanted to be, I wanted to learn as much as I could from the city before I left. And I really couldn't afford to stay there very long. (laughs) So I remember even back then the rent was crazy. They don't pay Christmas decorators too much either. It was actually, that was not a bad, it was not a bad gig. It was, I mean, we worked, you know, 18 hours a day and I was driving a 26 foot truck around Manhattan in Christmas time. Can I just pause and say, she's got a lot of skills, doesn't she? Well, and you're, you've got a lot of moxie. Like I feel like, you know, how you grew up and kind of Mm -hmm. in this kind of box you know, the Catholic kind of upbringing and the school, there's you, I, it's, there's just like moxie about you. Like such a good word. I'm going to go do this. Mm -hmm. And, and then the huge tragedy happens. You're three days in Mm -hmm. and most three weeks, three weeks, but most people would say, I I'm scared. That's good. I tried. Yeah. (laughs) You hung in there. But it was, I mean, Everyone says this, but I got to witness it firsthand the beauty of the unity of New York City after that mm. attack. And what I know is, that there was, feel like? there was, was a lot of negativity toward a group of people that had nothing to do with it. And I didn't like that part of it. But people came together in a way that I've never seen since. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, when I went to New York, I was a very, again, very sensitive, very used to this sort of Midwest style of talking and communicating. And it's not like that there. And I cried a lot because I thought people were like scolding me or yelling at me or harsh with me. And I just got used to it. Yeah. And I realized these people are so sweet and so helpful. Like I could do, I could ask anyone, any stranger on the street for anything and they would help me. And I often did. Mm. So some of the coolest, nicest people in the world from New York. And it's such a beautiful experience that it seems like Mm -hmm. your sensitivity, your sensitive soul also needed to learn that um, I can be in different environments mm-hmm. and there's good okay. people here and it's okay. Well, it's like I was trying to give myself a life lesson. Yeah, I very, yeah, like that. Yes, I very intentionally that. did that on purpose Yeah, because I wanted to get confident. I wanted to be able to speak. And so I thought that's a good way to do it. And it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I also met people from all over the world. Um, East, a lot of Eastern Europeans. Um, Opened your eyes. Yeah. Worked at the Christmas place and... Um, Hanging out in the Bronx, hanging out in Spanish Harlem, you know, like it really opened my eyes to other cultures and people and how people talk. And um, it was just I think it was so valuable for me to be there for that year. Beautiful. And then um, I came back and I struggled with finding a job. Um, I had a degree or I have a degree in Spanish, um, but I was such a poor student that I really don't speak Spanish that well. Um, So my mom learned English so fast. When she uh-huh, came so here, she didn't speak a lot of Spanish with you. Growing no, up. I understand okay. it pretty well, but she learned English so fast that um, she didn't keep speaking it in the household with sure. us growing yeah. up. Sure. And so she says now that she regrets that she didn't because my brother and I really don't speak that well. Yeah. But you got a degree in it. Mm-hmm. I got a degree in it. You don't have to actually know how to speak to get a degree in Spanish. <laughs> turns out <laughs> that's a note for all of you out there. Um, what, what else did you study or what, what what kind of jobs were you looking for like when you came back? Well, I didn't know what to do. It just seemed really limited and I didn't, I wanted to be able to party. 
Okay. Mm. That was so, and I didn't have a lot of money or resources. So I didn't, you know, so I was like, you know, manager of Von Maur, you know, in, at a, one of the, um, departments there. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the culture, um, felt very straight laced also again reminded me of school yeah so I didn't like you know I had to wear a skirt all of those things that were really triggering for me from my school right um don't you love how our soul just puts us up in the into a, the same scene once like, again okay, you know, know. It, it is really interesting it's how, weird how I made those decisions things. to repeat but maybe not weird because maybe that's yeah, what our soul does is it keeps putting us in mm-hmm. these situations to learn it from a new vantage point so instead of being the seven-year-old Catholic girl in the skirt. Now you're the 20-something Von Mar girl in a skirt and feeling similar emotion, but being able to see it from a different perspective. Well, and I'm realizing right now that when you just said that, I just wanted to be a good girl. Mm. I just really wanted. This is both Kate and I's story too. I just really wanted my mom and dad to be proud of me and to think that I was okay because I was not okay. I was horribly sick, horribly, Um, you know, and I didn't know what to do. I was too ashamed to admit it. Um, I thought it was also being downtown Iowa City all the time. It seems normal. You know, you can be well into your 30s here. And drinking at the bar in the daytime and no one bats an eye. No, it's the culture. But I think this is also culturally, we have so made alcohol okay and just Mm -hmm. a normal part of daily life that, um, like you said, you can go decades with Mm -hmm. being quite functional in your drinking or even somewhat dysfunctional in your drinking. And it Mm -hmm. goes very unnoticed because it's normal to party. Well, and unfortunately, too, um, a woman is very good at masking it. Um, just like my um, neurodivergent brain, I was very good at masking the fact that I was it's eye contact used to be very difficult for me. I have a lot of sensory sensitivities yeah. that I just those were ignored or, you know, we didn't talk about that stuff back in the 80s. Sure. Right? We didn't know. know about it in the way we do now. Yeah. No. So all of those things, I just I wanted to um, have I wanted to be normal and accepted. So I tried really hard to be normal. And the drinking was part of that, you know, like I didn't ever want to seem like I had a problem. And I was, um, almost at the peak of this, then I was the manager of a winery. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) You put yourself right in the middle of it. Yeah. I was at Cedar Ridge in Swisher and, um, I loved that job. You know, I was very good. Um, I was the event manager and the marketing manager there, obviously a lot of accessible alcohol, Mm -hmm. which was, um, you know, I took advantage of and um, did a lot of, um, you know, I was dressed well and put myself together in a way that I looked very healthy and happy. I was also at a very low weight and which was also made me people think I was really healthy. And it was because I really didn't eat much back then. I was so malnourished mm. um, or sick from the alcohol. Yeah. So. I always, I talk about this a lot, about how sometimes when people look their best, I mean, they're the most sick. Uh, um, I'm so with And you how good we are at um, putting on a brave, or not a brave face, but putting on a pretty face. And there's also yes. our messed up toxic culture mm-hmm. that when we are at our thinnest or our most sick or, right, that that we get honored for how we look. Mm-hmm. I, right. I think that this is so it's true, true, right? Yes. Like the anorexic frame or the, um, mm-hmm. that's been true for, I mean, probably since the beginning of time, quite frankly, mm-hmm. but well, not true. I think back in, when you look at art, I feel like there was something that happened and maybe it's just America. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there, you know, you look back, I've been watching these older shows like in the fifties and sixties and there, you know, you smoked all day, mm-hmm. you didn't yep. eat, you know, you dressed in a certain way. You never went anywhere without your face on. Like everything was, you know, mm-hmm. and we've been, sometimes I think, have we really come that far? Right. Or, <laughs> or why as women haven't we learned to nourish ourselves? Why hasn't that ever been right. something that was esteemed? Right. Mm-hmm. We get esteemed for not eating. Yeah. <laughs> like you not said, you were at your, yourself. your least well self. Right. But you looked, quote unquote, your best. Mm-hmm. And so it was very hidden yes people couldn't see it no they thought you were healthy yes I'm just trying to help our whole like listener and even myself break this down Mm -hmm. like 
what what our culture does to us. It, yes, it's true. And it goes to show, too, about how good we are at having successful jobs. Mm. To the you outer know? looks okay. Yes, yeah. yes. And we're still being very, very sick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but just because I wasn't laying in a gutter, right. you know, with a paper bag. Right. I was classic alcoholic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would fill my water bottle up, you know, with wine on the drive home and be able to see with one eye going down the country roads. And like, there's so many times I should have, I should have wrecked my car. I should have died. I should have hit somebody else. I mean, blackout. So, so when, when was lots of danger? So, okay. So I was 38 and, um, I had had a miscarriage and I never wanted children. Um, I always said I would never have children. Um, and for some reason for like six months, I was married at the time for six months, I got in, in my head that I wanted to have a child and I got pregnant immediately. Um, turns out it was a molar pregnancy. So, um, there's a cancer risk from that too. Um, and also I actually wanted this child and, uh, it put me in a place that I finally was able to reach rock bottom Mm. because I was so devastated and so hormonally wrecked. Um, I, well, I had gotten to the point the few years before that too, I'd gotten to the point where I was a binge drinker. So I would have to go five to seven days, you know, and try to wean off after that. Yeah. Um, and I was also working from home by this time. I was not working at the winery. I was working from home. So I was one of the, you know, I was working from home before a lot of people did. Yeah. So I was able to drink, you know, and it, at this point I wasn't drinking for pleasure, you know, it was right. just an addiction and it was just to cover my pain and yeah. Yeah. Um, men- my out. mental illness was horrible at this time too. You know, I suffered from depression and anxiety from the time I started drinking, which I believe now that the drinking caused all of those chemical problems in my brain, you know, mm-hmm. and then I would try to have medication and they wouldn't work because I drank. Mm-hmm. So it was that yeah, mental like health the first issue. first time you drank, you said you knew this doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to give it up because it is like... What makes me confident. Right. Yeah. Right. I couldn't give a, it was like, yeah, my best friend. Yeah. Um, so I had the miscarriage. I couldn't stop crying and I couldn't stop drinking and um, I just wanted to die. And then it finally crossed my mind. Like I could just end this finally because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to stop drinking. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand is it's not a question of willpower for a lot of people. Right. right. It's a disease. I'm the kind of alcoholic that I can't choose to stop drinking because I want to. There had to be something major that happened. Yeah, uh, we call it a spiritual experience, yeah. and that's what I had. Yeah. So I was. What, what happened was I was going to try to kill myself. I didn't know how though, and I didn't want it to hurt, and I didn't want to hurt my parents. So, and I had a dog who's my. He was my soul dog, you know, and he got me through everything. Um, he passed during COVID, but now I have a new dog. Um, but I think dogs are brought into our life to help us. Yeah, mm, I totally agree. And I had a childhood dog do too that was my helper and my guide mm. and my comfort. So dogs have always been my angels. So um, I couldn't kill myself because my dog wouldn't have a mother. Oh. And I was so connected to him. Mm. Um, I couldn't look at his little face and do it. Mm. Um, so I, was, I remember I was laying on the kitchen floor, um, detoxing, shaking, you know, cause you just shake and convulse. Um, and it's so, sorry, my voice is shaking a lot okay. right now. Thank you for being so vulnerable yes. and real. <sighs> Helping a lot of people with this story. <sighs> um, okay. So I was, I had detoxed many, many times in my life. Um, and I was on the kitchen floor shaking, convulsing, um, uh, crying, um, your body hurts so much when you're in that state that you can't even scream. Like it's horrible. And, and you were alone. Yes, I was alone. My, my husband had just gone to work. So, um, I was laying there. I didn't have, what I had tried to do was wean myself off of, like you try to test. So the shaking will stop. And so the, you have horrible mental anguish too, which is like a constant panic attack. And so I would try to have like one day where I would have like five beers and the next day I'd have four, you know, and try to wean yourself off, but it's never enough. And this day I had ran out. So I was, um, 
laying there in that pain. And I thought, okay, so like, how am I going to kill myself? I was just trying to think about it. And, um, all of a sudden I had like a voice in my head that was like, um, go to the hospital. Wow. Like you're going to be okay to go to the hospital. And that never occurred to me before. Um, so I called my husband and he came and got me and we went to the hospital where he works there. So, um, and I went to the ER, um, and they took one look at me and they were like, you know, yeah, here's a, here's a drunk, you know, here's an alcoholic. And no one had ever told me that before. Mm. I had been, um, I had a therapist who told me I didn't need help. I had a therapist who told me that AA is a bunch of people feeling sorry for themselves and that treatment was going to just drug me and send me on my way. Oh my. Wow. And I was begging for treatment. Um, yeah, I'd actually like to find that guy. (laughs) And I just want to say, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah. Right. Because there are Mm -hmm. bad therapists just like there are. Yes. And I, he, that was a long, I was with him for seven years and I believe that he had an inappropriate um, relationship with me. Mm. So he didn't want me to get better. Yeah. Right. And I had lots of medical professionals tell me that I just needed to try harder to get sober and that, um, you know, if you don't stop drinking, it's going to kill you. So no wonder but there was no solution. Were there was never were... a solution yeah. to the problem. Right. So, um, so you heard it from. So finally, when ER. I was in the ER, I remember laying there and they had, they were putting the um, hydration in me and all of that, the electrolytes, you know, and all of that stuff. And they sent the counselor over and, um, I remember him standing there and he kind of grabbed my arm and he said, do you need help? And I said, Oh my God, please, please help me. No one had ever offered that. Oh, Monica. And it was the first time someone was like, you, you're going to die. You know, you need help. So I was like, please, please, please help me. And, um, He's like, okay, well, you're lucky because you have good insurance. But even if you didn't, you could go to a treatment center. You could do whatever. And that's when all of the, like, worry went away about it. Like, I finally was able to surrender. You saw a path. I saw the path, and I I realized I don't have to try to be okay anymore. That was the biggest thing. I didn't have to try try to hide it anymore. It was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. So I went to treatment at the University of Iowa, which is a fabulous program. Mm. Um, Was it like a 30 day? um, So it was supposed to be two weeks, but I stayed for six because I begged and pleaded to stay there uh, because I loved Mm -hmm. it so much. You felt yourself mm -hmm. feeling coming back. Yeah, I was in, um, you know, we had group therapy and all of this stuff. And it was so like I wanted it so badly. I was so happy to be there. And I had a reason to, you know, get dressed in the morning and go somewhere. And I had people that were talking to me and I made the first friends I had made in many years because I was so isolated and so alone and so ashamed of myself that I just hid. Yeah. Um, I'm still friends with them. Mm. I still talk to the um, the therapist I had at the time. Um, so, yes, treatment can be very beautiful if you're open to it and ready you for it. Ready. I was so ready Clearly for it. Ready. And then, um, you know, so there's question of anonymity about my 12-step program. So I'm not going to say the name of it, but it's a 12-step program. And um, it's been absolutely amazing. And um, I think that this is, a, this is something that's very misunderstood in our society about what this actually is and how spiritual it is and how beautiful it is. And yeah. it's really just about service and passing it to the next person. Mm-hmm. So I'm very involved in that. Um, I do meetings, several meetings a week. I chair meetings. I do service work. I help um, women that are just struggling, just like I was. And many of them helped me. Yeah. So. Mm. What do you want the world to know about? I know um, 12-step programs do have anonymity and that's the power Mm -hmm. behind them. But um, what what would you like the world to know about, (laughs) you know, the, the power behind it, the healing behind it, the hope, I mean, cause what it gave, it clearly gives you hope. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think that what's really amazing about it and it seems tailored just to me, but it can be tailored to anyone's belief system. Um, it very yeah. clearly states that there's a higher power that can be literally anything, even your highest self, right? Your right. highest and best can be that it can be your dog. It can be the group. It can be, you know, anything, the sunset. Yeah. Um, and so that is just such an open-minded mm-hmm. 
thing that works for anybody, you know, and I have a really mixed bag of spirituality. I, you know, there's native religions and um, I'm getting back into Catholicism and I'm getting um, there's a lot of things that I do that are uh, more ritual based. And um, it's so accepting of all of that. Um, and really, it's just um, the magic of one alcoholic talking to another is that's where it is. Yeah. You know, and then having the 12 steps helps you to um, have a path for like how to actually live your life. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, and I think anyone could do them. I, I, I agree. said that <laughs> in my work, working with people who are going through 12 step programs and, you know, uh, having people in my life who are going through 12 steps. I'm like, everyone needs this. Yeah. If everyone knew how to live for it, right? There's something about, it's like life lessons. It's life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, it's living. like a guidebook in a way. It is. A framework maybe. Well, or like kindergarten for, yeah, it's like spiritual kindergarten. Mm. You know, it's very simple. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely transformed every relationship in my life. It's transformed how I feel about myself. It's helped me clear out the wreckage of all of the stuff that I did when I was sick. I can face the people of my past now. Mm. All those employers, all those, you know, Yeah. just even, I mean, I still live here, you know, I was a mess for 20 years and I'm still meeting new people every day. You know, and being in this community and I have a business in this community. I was gonna say you're not just living here, you're like building something yeah. here. <laughs> Which when I think about like how how you now have turned your experience into providing and building this place when you walk in and mm-hmm. you feel if like you said earlier, it feels like you. Yeah. It feels like a yeah. healed you. Your business. Yeah. It's so healing. Yeah. You're giving back to others through your business. Yeah, that's the whole. Okay, so one thing I have to say is it's none of this. Cielo came from, I don't know where it came from. (laughs) It came from something that's inexplicable, just like my sobriety. It's a miracle. Yeah. It was literally a miracle. Um, And I've seen it over and over again. There's no... Like, you can't explain how people change when they get better. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely unrecognizable. My personality is different. My energy is different. Everything is different about me than before I got sober. Wow. And uh, I see this all the time, the transformation, the alchemy of this power. Mm, That's a good word, alchemy. I use that word all the time because I see it all the time. And it's amazing how things can just flip in an instant. Yeah. And I went from... Despair. I mean, that's the only way to say it. Despair. Anguish. Physical, mental, deep pain. Um, I thought, who can can rectify their life after this? I mean, how embarrassing. How humiliating. You know, everyone I know knows who I am, what a sloppy person I am, what a piece of crap I am. That's what I thought. And redemption. It's Mm. given me, it's given me dignity. It's given me... um, the power to do what I always wanted to. Clearly, I always wanted to do something like this. I just didn't know how. And so all of this has come about in a way that I cannot explain. It came Mm. out of me like a tidal wave. Mm. And I didn't, I don't even feel like I consciously made the decisions. It just flew out of me. And all of a sudden I saw myself being led. Yeah. This is very divinely led. Yeah. Which people are like, what? Like, no, you're oh, just, I get that. you're just yeah. good at this or something. Uh, okay. But how come I couldn't do it before you. then? Yeah, the universe <laughs> kept presenting the next thing you need. Right. Right. And I think, um, I'm so open about this stuff because no one talked about this stuff. You know, like I would have loved to talk to somebody uh, about right. this when I was suffering. I know. I know. Cause I felt so alone. And that's and the like, gift you're giving people. There's yes. something like so cultural about drinking here. And like, if you have a problem with it, I mean, you would never tell people because that's like, you don't air your dirty laundry. I feel like that's a really big Midwest thing too. Exactly. You don't talk about your problems. No one wants to hear that crap, you know, but. But we all have we our, all crap. our crap. Mm-hmm. And so you being so courageous to be open about it, even on your bio, on your website, it's mm-hmm. like. One of the first things you say, mm-hmm. I'm sober. Mm-hmm. And I love your authenticity around this because there are so many people who can relate to your story, who need mm-hmm. to hear your story, who need to hear the hope behind the story. 
Yeah. Um, the transformation, the alchemy behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I was still in treatment, I got the domain name for my business. Um, wow. Because it's like my mind woke up. And, it, and then I got the, I just looked up how to do everything. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I was going to do something. And it's going to be called Cielo because my mom calls me Cielito, which means little piece of heaven. Aww. And heaven is, I've, very, I've always been very attracted to celestial things, the moon, the stars, all of those things, especially in the mountains of Guatemala. I remember gazing up at the stars and feeling like there's something there. I don't know what's there, but there's something there mm-hmm. in the sky. The expansive sky of Iowa, too, is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So cielo can mean like the heavens too, so celestial things and also God and spirituality and um, my ancestors. And my mother has, um, you know, she's just a force in this world. And, you know, I admire her so much. And my grandmother too, my abuelita in uh, Guatemala. So this is all in honor of them Mm. and the the matriarchy and the the divine feminine that helped me and continues to help me. And yet I think that in some ways you are where you are also because of the 20 years you lived prior to that. That that was also part of your journey and you're here to help other people. And so Mm -hmm. I do think um, when we're here to help other people, we actually have to get wounded ourselves Mm -hmm. to really be in the depths of service and to know, right? Like you are a healer. Your shop is a healing shop Mm -hmm. and it comes out of all the experiences you personally lived. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want people to feel safe and comforted in my store. And they do. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the amount of people that burst into tears of relief, but, you know, being able to share their story with me or my staff or I think that when I'm there, I'm just like, tell me your stuff. Like, I'm, mm. you know, oh, let me tell you my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I say, this is my recovery business. This is yes. a miracle, you know. Mm. And if you feel recovery business, so good. If you feel um, safe here, you know that's the intention. Right. If if you take something home with you that makes you feel beautiful and and safe and comforted, that's the intention. These are all the things that I love that I use in my life to make me feel better because I have to take great pains to have self care these days. And self care has become sort of a weird, dirty word sometimes about capitalism and all that stuff. No, that's bullshit. Like. This is about just nurturing yourself. Nourishing and nurturing yourself. Yes. 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 Because, yes, I'm still a sensitive person. You know, I'm still a person that has sensory sensitivities. And, um, but now you've learned how to, mm-hmm. how to deal with those. Mm-hmm. Y- you honor them mm-hmm. and you, you, they're part of who you are and you're not running from that anymore. Yeah. And I've learned that so yeah. many people who have addiction are the highly sensitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if it's the world is so intense and so out of balance. And so those of us who are these highly sensitive souls, it's like really hard living in such a toxic culture. Mm-hmm. And so yes. we're looking for ways to medicate, cope, mm-hmm. and cope. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I've been... <sighs> seeing more and more too is that I'm very aware of like the suffering of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think some of us are, Mm -hmm. and that's hard. Um, it's, it's sort of terrifying as a child too, to feel that. And, um, you just feel uncomfortable a lot. Yeah. You know, it was hard for me to see, I could never see an animal suffer. I could never, you know, like we tried to go fishing and I would scream, you know, if I saw the the fish or anything Mm. like that. And I just was so feel it. Yes, I feel it like in my core and I can see that in other humans too. And I think that's when I'm just, I sort of pull out stories and and stuff that people feel safe telling me, which is really nice. And like, I'm not a mother, but I'm a mother. Yes, you are. You are. I feel like I'm a mother um, to a lot of people and I feel like people are a mother to me, Yeah, you know? Um, So it's given me purpose to, you know, being in this recovery journey is just like, there's always people who are going to be coming in. Um, I met a person at the dog park um, two days ago, and she started telling me her story and her secrets about addiction. And, um, you know, it changes people when you can talk about it. Yeah. And we have to be there for one another. Yeah. During these times, because Mm -hmm. they are being alone, like your story about being alone Mm -hmm. on your kitchen floor 
Mm-hmm. Um, and hiding it so well. And then some stranger at the hospital says, here's the way forward. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no one has ever told me there's a way no forward. No. No, so. because um, I thought that I just had to be tough. Yeah. You know, Hold and that's together. what I think it always kind of, it's like a pet peeve of mine when people are like, stay strong. You know, when yep. people are sober, or, um, you know, keep up the good work. You know, it's not a fight. It's the actual opposite of a fight. Yeah, it's it's a, a surrender. 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 There's a whole different energy in letting go of all of your defense mechanisms and, and all the facade of being okay when you can just be like, I'm not okay. I got to try something new here and it's okay. And I'm going to be okay now. Yeah. yeah. And not, um, yeah, it's, it's not a struggle every day. It's not a fight every day for the rest of my life. I don't like that language and that language is not true for me at all. It is a new, beautiful day every day. And your store feels like a portal, almost, mm-hmm. like oh, that people good. to walk in. Mm-hmm. You're curious if you don't even know what you need, but you feel, I mean, you've just created like this welcoming space for where, wherever you are in your journey. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, my arms are open. Mm-hmm. Walk through the door. I was in a really tough place uh, a year ago, and I walked into your store and I opened up one of your poetry books. And in fact, I I think I even took a picture of what I opened up to, like the poem that I opened up to that just spoke to me exactly what I needed in that moment. Of course, I bought the book and I think I bought three other books as well. Mm-hmm. But I remember sitting outside of your store and like thumbing through the, it was like, it was my medicine in that moment. Mm-hmm. So I want you to know that you <laughs> and your choices of books and uh-huh. what you put in that store had an impact on me at the exact moment I needed it. And I'm sure there are thousands of other stories I love like that. that. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love having the store. I love having, you know, the brand has helped me to take care of myself. You know, I don't have a partner and I don't have a family um, in that traditional way. But it's helped me to just, I don't even, what do you even call that? Sustain myself? No, I agree. Because I think that our podcast, at least for me, yeah. helps me take care of myself. Yes. Right? Yeah, like it's a, totally. It, 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 it's like you're giving, but you're also receiving. Yes, that's, yes, I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's it's given me the gifts of um, having the life I want. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of freedom in my life. So in a lot of ways, I'm treating the little girl who's stuck in that desk. Not in, able to do in art. Catholic school, not able to do <laughs> no anything. No art class. You know, feeling very restricted. My body was aching for not being able to move, yeah. you know, and um I get to move every day now and I get to um, meet wonderful people like you and have these stories and have these connections. Um, Right before this, I had a meeting with someone who has a retail store in town and and it was like the most amazing connection Mm. of wisdom. And I love learning from women, especially women who are older than me. Yes. I think that we need more of that we, in society. Yes. yes. We set Share the, like, the wise women thing. I mean, that's the thing. And I'm going it into is. my crone years. I mean, you know. So are we. We are so too. Are we. <laughs> High five. We just did an episode on the crone. Oh, so. I love uh-huh. it too. And I feel like that's, oh, I feel so good in this space. Yeah. It's when, yeah. it's when the wisdom, the downloads, yes. the... The energy shifts, the heat. We would talk about the hot flashes mm-hmm. being like mm-hmm. this, these energy shifts. That's like a download of power, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and we have to honor that in each other as we re- as we reach those levels because mm-hmm. there's so much to learn from one another and definitely and the um, there's a patience mm-hmm. um, and an understanding that I didn't have before. I think for 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 everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes I'm just in a room full of people and I just can't bear how much I love them. Like, oh. so. <laughs> so you're, I love how connected you are to life now and like yes. how open to, to love and yes. beauty. Love. And yes. And you're sharing that back yeah. with others in a way that is just meeting people where they're at and mm-hmm. showing up for other women, especially who, who may not know what they're missing or what might they not be need. as far down the path. Like I feel right. like you went through so much. You've gone through your whole healing sobriety journey and there might be women who aren't quite there yet but they can go into your store and pick up one of those books or Mm -hmm. buy a candle or do something that 
takes them one step further down their healing path. Yeah, definitely. And the right people always come in too. Mm-hmm. They're drawn so, to it. Yes. You're there is a, a magnetism. Yeah. There is a, it is. It's a portal. I just, um, I just a shared portal. a meme on my Facebook about like me trying to make friends. Like, have you ever seen a portal? Like weird. Oh I say, I always I say weird things like that. that when I said that. Yeah. But like, I do talk about that kind of or quantum leaping yeah. and like, yeah. like all this stuff. I yeah. actually think that that voice that I heard was me when I was lying Your on that floor. Self. Your higher self. Yeah. I think that was me saying, get mm. off the floor, go get some help. Yeah. It's okay. You don't have to do this anymore. No. There's something amazing waiting for you and you yeah. get to live. And that's, I think too, the, the, if I have any courage or anything, it's almost like, cause I have nothing to lose. Cause I should be dead. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, this is like a second chance. And, um, You're making so the most I feel very bold to do whatever I want to do. And, um, to pull people up with me too. Yeah. You know, this community is amazing for women entrepreneurs and women business owners. Oh my gosh. There are so many here. There are a lot and we got to keep and them going more. And my thing too is, you know, more on a business sense, I want this, you know, we are affecting the economic, the economic future of this country and the world. Yep. And um, women. we're taking over. I just thought we make 89% of all consumer decisions. Ooh. Yeah. That's huge. But like small shops like mine, um, you know, Etsy stores, online businesses, online boutiques, realtors, all these people, I mean, they're, they're getting a big chunk of the money, mm-hmm. you know, and it's only going to get more and more and more. And so that's going to change policy. That's going to change. Right. You know, once we're the ones owning the buildings, everything's going to change. Oh. And that's why we need, that's why we need to get this, get this bag. Yeah. Get the bag, girls. You know, yeah. that's why I always tell people because it's like you, people feel shameful. Oh, I don't want to have that much money, you know, or something like that. It's like, don't you want to give opportunities yeah. to other money people? Money changes the world. If you buy the whole building, like, you, get yes. to, you get to say who gets to be there then. That's yes. right. That's and right. it doesn't have to be a Walgreens. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? Monica well, Berry, you are clearly a wild woman. Yes. And we love being in your presence. Feel very inspired by your story and all that you shared. So we always end this with this question that oh Kate's going to. Yeah. So no, 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 no pressure. Or stress. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. So in the book, Women Who Run with the Wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you have that in your store? No, I should. Uh, It keeps coming up on my radar. Yes, I will. So by Dr. Clarissa Piccola Estes, she talks about how there's a few precious doors into the life of the wild woman. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much you can almost not bear it, that is a door. Or if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So which door do you think you walked through? To your free Taking wild your woman. wild woman status. Um, okay, so I did a DNA test about five years ago, and I'm 40% Native American, which means Mayan Indian. And that has come into my life so strongly. I feel like my ancestors are guiding me. Um, mm. I also feel like this is... <sighs> Somehow, like through this, through all of the pain and suffering and everything, and I just feel like I have a a story to tell. Um, Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. And it's not about ego and it's not about financial success or anything like that. I just want to help people see that (sighs) trauma, pain, addiction, these are so common so common and it doesn't mean you're a bad person Mm. to be an addict doesn't mean you're a bad person often it means you're a very sensitive person and a very creative person these people really struggle because our society is not made for these people it feels wrong to be here sometimes I just had my whole natal chart read and she said wow you have a very challenging chart very challenging (laughs) like I'm not surprised that you've gone through what you've gone through in your life but you're a connector Mm-hmm. So I went through the portal to a new life and now I'm the connector and I get to just, now I'm just seeing all these people and they're coming into my life and I'm having all these crazy experiences. And, um, it's just like, it's just like, um, my dream. It's what I always wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's a door, but 
I think you just made up your door. door? I I don't know. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I love it too. (laughs) Thank you. And people can find you. Do you want to tell them your website? So my website is cielogoods.com. It's C-I-E-L-O. Everyone always wants to mix up the E and the I because... I think of English rules or whatever. I after E, yeah. except after right. C. Right, so everyone wants to say, yeah. And it's yellow rhymes with yellow. Um, and then Cielo Goods is also my Instagram um, and TikTok and Facebook and all of that stuff. And my store is in Iowa River Landing in Coralville. Go check it out. Go check it out. You will find just what you need. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing so beautifully, Monica. Mm-hmm. You are, we feel like you're a soul sister. Mm-hmm. And- uh, a true wild woman. So thanks for being here. Yes. Thank you so much. This is my first podcast. Yay. But not your last. <laughs> we have been blown away by how this podcast is resonating with people. So thank you for listening. We have a request of you. First, would you be willing to follow the podcast on the platform that you choose? Rate and review the podcast. And lastly, if you have a favorite episode, please share it with a friend. So mean a lot to us. And we want you to know we're so grateful to all of you, our listeners who are on this rewilding path with us. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris, with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.